Do it to it. Because this is Comic Book Dungeon Podcast 2.0. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mark, coming to you from deep underground in the Comic Book Dungeon. And coming to you live from the Kitchen Island table, this is Cruz from the Comic Book Kitchen. Nice. So it's been uh, an extra week since we recorded last, and uh, I guess that doesn't even mean anything anymore because we have this little backlog of episodes, which we're slowly getting through. So I hope you guys enjoyed the double whammy of episode 16 and episode 17 today. And hopefully by next week, you'll get the Scooby Dudes episode 18 that's been burning a hole in my pocket since we did it. Hey, don't tell them about the timing, dude. Time is relative. I mean, as far as they know, you know, we're just plugging it along at a regular pace and, uh, you know, taking little breaks here and there in between. So don't no, don't tell them how the sausage is made, man. I'm just wondering about all the people who are listening to this like a couple years from now who are just listening. Like when we've made it and this is like thousands of people are downloading this. And they're listening to our anti-Trump rhetoric, and they're like, man, these guys needed to slow down. Didn't they realize he was like, going to choke on a Big Mac on a, on a toilet like two months from now? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? For half a second, like my inner self cringed because I thought you were going to say, didn't they realize he was going to save the world? And I just a safety tip because we learned this with Elvis, too. Just the, the risk assessment of eating fast food on the uh, on the on the toilet. You can't do that. Am I right, Captain Kirk? How do you define unwarranted? So I got to stop playing with that, and I got to stop torturing you with the Star Trek the motion picture quotes. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there will be plenty of opportunities in the future for torturing me with Star Trek the motion picture quotes. Is that how you would define unwarranted? I, I think so, yes. I think that would be unwarranted. Man, I'm I'm excited. I think we have a blockbuster show today. I mean, I just, I feel that every every episode, but I mean, this one, it's, I, I listened to this, like, the episode 17, I talked about how I was bleeding out my ass in a bad way. I'm absolutely bleeding out my ass in a good way for this episode. Is there a good way to bleed out of one's ass? I have evidence there is, because I'm doing it right now. Oh my god. <laughs> Disturbing. So... We are not doing a Kill Raven episode. We are covering uh, a Punisher issue, one of the Punisher summer specials. But we're going to come back to that. Uh, I think we have. I don't know about you, but I think I, I know I I've had a couple things burning a hole in my pocket uh, the last few weeks that I can't wait to talk about. Okay, well, lead the charge, sir. Okay, I, I talked to you about this briefly on the phone. I uh, I am quite the Star Trek elitist, and I keep forcing my Star Trek views on everybody. But uh, I got off my high ho- horse a little bit, and uh, I I think I'm about four issues or issues four episodes into Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. And it's 
I went in, and I I am a hateful individual, and I know I hate everything. It's why I don't watch the Marvel movies. It's because again, I'm on a big fat high horse. I I wouldn't consider you so hateful. More like puritanical. Yes, that's a good way of of putting it. But I actually got excited. I'm like, you know what? I've heard a lot of good buzz about Star Trek Discovery, and I went in. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to finish all these episodes on the free trial. Man, I think there's a good chance I'm going to like this. And you know, I got myself all psyched up. And let me tell you what I have taken away so far from Star Trek Discovery. Take Star Trek Enterprise. Okay. And remove any characters that are likable or act in a coherent or rational way. And then take away any sort of values from the Starfleet organization and you have Star Trek Discovery. It is it is full of just absolutely terrible people in Starfleet uniforms doing terrible things. That sounds wonderful, though. I, uh, I'm, I, the last episode I watched, I, I liked a little bit better. It's just, it's hard to find a character that you can actually identify with and get behind. The, I guess the one thing that's keeping me going is that I'm such a canon nut. There, there's no way that this is in, like, the mainstream, like, universe that it makes sense with canon. I, I don't want to, there, list a bunch of spoilers, but every episode you're like, no way, or that doesn't jive. And the writers keep saying, well, yeah, we know that. Give us some time. So I think I'm hoping they're going to have a good explanation of what's going on. My favorite theory, and I know this is wrong because I'm the only one who thinks this way, but did you watch all of Enterprise? I have not watched a single episode no. of Enterprise. The, I I'm, hang my head in shame. No, I mean, I was like that until very recently because I refused. But the first episode, it dealt a lot with they, with they, I think this is Enterprise's best contribution to the canon was the Temporal Cold War, where you have all these alternate futures going back and changing the past to try to you know create the, the, the future that they want. And you have all these timeline changes going on because of that. So you could make an argument that all four seasons of Star Trek Enterprise are not the same in the same universe as Star Trek, you know, the next generation. Because as soon as the timeline started to get altered, that, that, that this was a, a, a alternate reality. I'm wondering if Star Trek Discovery then would make sense it's in that altered timeline. Okay, so, so, what you're saying is you're feeling okay about them J.J. Abramsing the fuck out of this series. Well, I mean, I, I don't like the Star Trek the movies, the J.J. Abrams movies, because they don't feel like Star Trek to me. I've made my piece. I like that they're out there because they're still generating a lot of attention to the series. But yeah, they can do whatever they want in those movies because it's not the mainstream universe. I have a feeling that that's not how they're going to, to explain this, but I don't see any other way that they could. There's no okay. way this is the main universe. The things that I've seen Starfleet officers do, the technology that how it's been utilized and how it's been introduced... None of this stuff makes sense. And again, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for anybody. I don't want to get into a lot of spoilers. Once so I'm trying not to fit it and I can't. That's just the way I'm wired to get it into that that sort of canon box. But I, I definitely this last episode, it I liked it a little bit better. And have you ever watched The Office? Uh yeah. The guy this is the only mild spoilery thing I'll say, and this is something it's not a spoiler because this was all over like the news feeds when that at the at, like, when the show like first came out. Was you've watched the original series, right? Yes. Do you remember Hardcore Fenton Mud? 
Um, oh, he was like the, the 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 kind of rotund guy. Yeah, like the rotund grifter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's in an episode, and he's played by the guy who plays Dwight Schrute from The Office, <laughs> and he does a fucking great job. He does a fantastic job as uh, as Mud. I, that was definitely been a high point in the series, and his interaction with the uh, the captain. Uh, this was the first episode where I really I, I like the captain. He seems like a sociopathic douchebag, but in that episode, he uh, I'm not going to say he was a good guy, but he was uh, a little bit more uh, likable. I don't know. I think if it's something that uh, tickles your fancy, I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. The uh, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I. I, I will put it on my radar, uh, and it has been on my radar. But right now, I am uh, currently binging all the uh, CW DC comic book related television series. So right now, I think in the last like week and a half, I've managed to inhale all of season one of Supergirl. And uh, Is that any- I'm gonna, you know, it's the first season. I, I mean. I, I don't feel it as much as I did with uh, uh, Arrow. I thought Arrow was fucking, you know, for a a lesser known network's fucking first se- first season on a comic book uh, property. I thought Arrow was done really well. I mean, they took some license with the story, but I mean, what? Who the fuck doesn't anymore? Uh, I thought it worked out well. My favorite was The Flash. Uh, out of all of the the television series that that have came out uh, on network TV, at least uh, The Flash, I think nailed how I would want uh, that character portrayed. Uh, and then, of course, you, you know, you've got the Marvel ones on Netflix, which. Uh, I, I like for totally different reasons because they do take the the combat and the tone a lot more uh, a lot heavier. You know, it's 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 the inverse of the movie properties. You know, like the MCU is a little more lighthearted, a little more whimsical, and a little more like kind of tongue in cheek. And, and the DC, I guess you call it DCU or whatever the fuck it is now has been all these grim, dark, fucking, like, gravelly, fucking, the world's gonna end and we've got to do something to stop it kind of movies. But on the TV side of it, they're flipped over. You know, Marvels are way grittier, way grimmer, way more fucking violent. And the DC universe is a little more lighthearted, a little more... I I will say, like, Supergirl is true to the ideals of what Superman was supposed to be. Yeah, I, I, the reason why I got so upset by Man of Steel was because it, it kind of it, it shied a little bit away from the, the Boy Scout fucking message, and Supergirl kind of tries to hold on to that that the Boy Scout message as much as she can. And same with the Flash and Arrow's definitely like you know a different style of Batman with a little less of the fucking seriousness, I guess. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And then there's Legends of Tomorrow that I want to go fucking watch and all this other shit. So, yeah. That's uh, quite a full plate. Uh, yeah, and then I, there's this one called Black Lightning or something like that that I haven't fucking I heard about, but I haven't even watched anything from it. So, yeah, it's a full plate. Yeah, um, I look forward to new updates because, I mean, those shows have always – I've been aware of them. I've just never watched one. So I'd like to get your uh, your viewpoint on those. I have watched, I think, the 
three seasons of Arrow and two seasons of The Flash uh, before work kind of made me change my viewing schedule and I kind of fell behind on him. And I think Supergirl is up to, I think, the third or fourth season. And I think I watched half of the first season when it first debuted on CBS. Um, so I, I've, yeah, I, I've got a good grasp on Arrow and The Flash, which I, I, I wholly enjoyed watching both of them. Uh, Supergirl is a little waffly on just because because of, of the lack of the you know the lack of it just didn't feel like it was sticking quite right with the intended story. But I think they're getting getting that back on track. Plus, on top of that, the freaking lead actress um, Melissa Benoist or something. I, I remember her from when my wife used to watch fucking Glee. So it's kind of hard to fucking separate that shit. And it was your wife that watched Glee. It was my wife that watched Glee. I only watched it for the chicks, okay? I, I'm, just, I'm just asking because a, a big theme in episode 17, which I just finished editing uh, this week, was the you can use having teenage daughters to justify buying uh, weird or embarrassing things. So I'm just wondering if this Glee thing kind of falls in that same trap. But this is a non, uh, this is the trust <laughs> thing. This is a judgment-free zone. Hey, okay. Honestly, she she started watching Glee. I like some. Of the, I like actually. I take it back. I like a lot of the music. And I, what do you expect with the show where four out of five of the chicks on there are hot? So I'm willing to fucking sit there and watch them fucking dance around. Yeah, and have my wife next to me being like, "Oh, watch her do that split," and I'm like, "Yeah." I'll I'll take your word for it that that is a that is your primary motivation. Exactly. You know what? If it's not. This, again, this is a judgment-free zone. We don't need to tell stories here. I I, yeah. I put my heart on the line before we started recording uh, about my absolute love of Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> this, is, this is a judgment-free zone. And how much I really enjoy Star Trek Insurrection and how I've seen it like something like 20 times. So. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so... Yeah, what tripped me out, um, actually was uh, I, I just got into season two of Supergirl, and uh, they've got a guy playing Superman that I remember from. And this this was definitely my wife's thing, because there's no fucking way in hell I would be caught dead willingly watching this show. Uh, one, the guy that plays Superman is, um, I think his name's Tyler Hochin, and he used to play a character, a long-running character, on an old fucking... Uh, WB series called Seventh Heaven. <laughs> that's funny that you mentioned Seventh Heaven because that's got a Star Trek The Motion Picture connection because the dad on that show was uh, Captain William Decker from Star Trek The Motion Picture. And oh, my God. Oh, dude. Okay, did you realize that the mom on that show was um, the fucking the marine biologist yes. from uh, the Voyage Home? Home? Yes. Yes, I, I knew I knew they both looked familiar, and I placed her long before that. But now that you fucking said that shit, oh fuck, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> Did you know the dad on that show was fucking uh, accused of abusing children or some shit? Was it just accused? I thought he was. It was it was proven. I think I believe it was proven, which is it's sad because I I liked William Decker a lot. And whenever I watch the motion picture, it's a bit tainted for me now. 
Yeah, that's that's probably why when that came out, my wife used to watch that show. Like every two years, she'd just go on to Seventh Heaven binge and watch like all fucking seven seasons or whatever the fuck of it there was. And then once word of that shit came out, she has not watched it again. I appreciate that the WB isn't the Catholic Church and they just didn't shuffle him to the next show in their lineup. <laughs> yeah, if you have a problem with that, email me, comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. And, and, and yeah, if you have a problem, if you're a Catholic who's offended by that joke, think about what you're writing in to defend. <laughs> yes, I please, think one please. of us has the moral high ground, and I don't think it's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh man yeah I feed off your angry letters if we ever get any I'm going to frame them oh <laughs> um, uh, yeah I heard about that shit that was uh, unfortunate but uh, not surprising and, uh, not to date the show too much but we were also laughing behind the scenes because I'm confident that this show will be, in the, it may be a month or so, but it's going to be uploaded to iTunes. And we are laughing about what's not being uploaded to iTunes. Did you see that, like, they, uh, the FCC shut down his radio station in Texas, too? That's fucking <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. How are we going to know about all the false flag attacks now or the lizard people? I know. I mean, shit, man. Have you heard a lot of the other right-wing conspiracy people are now turning on Alex Jones? I mean, it is, it is, it is just raining constant shit on Alex Jones. Dude, there is blood in the water, and fucking Alex Jones is in the middle of all the chum, dude. He's fucking done. Thankfully, I'm so fucking happy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not convinced he's done yet. But yeah, he's. I don't think he's going to bow out. I think he's going to get more desperate and more hilarious. Oh, yes, with the yes. the crying and the persecution. He is going to double down and double down and double down until one he's of his fucking... Man. Yeah, exactly. Until one of his fucking forehead veins bursts because he's been fucking popping too many fucking steroids. That's a dude who I would not be surprised if in five years he's, in, he's behind bars or something. Oh, yeah. He's going to snap. Yep. And I may make me a bad person, but I'm going to kind of laugh when he does. He's he's kind of reaping what he sowed. Yeah. I, I mean, so long as he, he doesn't harm anyone else when he it, comes unhinged, I think it'll be great fucking media uh, story. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it's less of a climbing a uh, bell tower and more of just a public eruption with property destruction and angst where he gets yes. tased and... And with him ending up getting drug off while he's fucking crying and sobbing fucking frantically into his hands. Yeah. I mean, I don't wish anybody any sort of harm, but, I mean, this is a person who's been a purveyor of, I mean, of just, just lies and misinformation. And not just innocent shit like, you know, Bigfoot's in his backyard, but the, I mean, the the, the Pizzagate, the, 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 the Sandy Hook kids weren't really killed. I mean, he's... He's built up a lot of this shit. It's, it's it's surprising it's taken this long for it to kind of catch up with him. Yeah, well, some people are willing to suspend their disbelief for anything. That is true. I, I'd, uh, I'm not sure if we should do this on the air, but uh, I'm hey, we can always edit it out. I have a challenge for you. Okay. I've been listening. I've I've been on a, a big Star Trek kit lately, which is why it's been I guess taking over the podcast. 
I think on a future episode, we should both do a top 10 next generation episodes. You know, they don't have to be in order, but pick our like top 10 favorites. And I want to see where we agree and where we disagree. I don't know if that would be interesting listening, but I, I think if you're a Trek fan, you can enjoy it. And as we saw in episode 17, I've started putting the, as we talked about uh, on an episode that was recorded later, but was uh, uh, but has not been put up yet. I think for people who don't want to listen to us ramble on for 40 minutes about Star Trek, you can go straight into the comic. Hmm. You know, I um, God, that's a lot to cover. Oh yeah. But I think I, I'm willing. To, I'm 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 willing to go for it. Uh, uh, I'm definitely going to have to kind of do a little little freaking memory jogging research because. Oh yeah. Like, my idea on that was, because this shouldn't be something too labor-intensive, I was just going to go on, like, an episode guide and just go, like, yeah. season by season and just, this was a good one, this was one I liked. And yeah, exactly. I, I was not going to spend more than, just like, 45 minutes on it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I'm, I'm already thinking about it. I'd probably just fucking wipe over season one, because I don't really think there was anything that really stood out for me there. The more I rewatch... The more I, because I, I used to pan a lot of the first two seasons, a lot of episodes I really like are from those first two seasons, which is why I think this is going to be real surprising. And a lot of, season seven was not very good. The I don't think, yeah, I don't think the very end of it was very good. I, I, I feel from the last time I watched it, the whole thing through, which is probably like a two or three years ago, you could really tell in season one that the cast and the cast and crew wasn't quite gelling. And it wasn't until like about three or four episodes into season two that you could really see that everything was starting to click really well between everybody. And on that note, you heard Picard's coming back, right? Yes. I wanted to get, yeah, yeah, to mention that because I, I have a little bit more Star Trek with my, my news and then I'm, uh, I'm, I'm good. But I don't know because the thing that I've always cried about is how none of the Star Trek franchises have been moving forward. But the one thing that scares me about that, it's the only thing that keeps me going in life is the expanded universe. And so now if they do a TV show, you know, 30 years or 20 years past, like, Nemesis, what does that do to the expanded universe? Because that's what we saw with Star Wars. It kind of imploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't yeah. I can't live in a world without those Star Trek books. I I need them. Like, uh, one of the things I was going to plug, and I'll get to that in a minute, but uh, I'm, I'm excited. I think, uh, how do you feel about it? I, I, am, I am really excited because... Picard is definitely like he's up there, you know, and, and and fucking Patrick Stewart is is up there as one of my favorite fucking actors of all time, and fucking Picard is one of my favorite Star Trek captains. And I'm not gonna say he's my absolute favorite, but fuck, he is up there hard enough to make that decision tough. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? Cisco is my favorite in that two spot. It's a hard. It's a hard duel between Kirk and Picard. Yeah, it's yeah, Picard is great. I mean, every the more I I rewatch the Next Gen as an adult, I it just there's so much you can take away from Captain Picard. Right. It's a, oh man. I'm just wondering what's going to happen with the rest of the the Next Gen cast. If they're going to guest star at all, or like what the plan is. 
it, they are making buku money doing Star Trek The Cruise, okay? My wife and I looked at that, and uh, she, because she would have been willing to do it for a favor to me, but it's it's just too pricey. <laughs> oh man, I would love to go do that shit, but I would not bring my wife. I, I tried to. I, I think we. I, I don't think we talked about this on the air, but I tried to get press credentials to the Las Vegas Star Trek uh, convention. And we did not meet any of the criteria, like at like even fucking close. But <laughs> I I would not be opposed to maybe trying to schedule something for the next year. One, I'm kind of holding out for Cisco to be back because he. I don't have one of the like I don't have a lot of celebrities that I would like freak out or pay like a lot of money for an autograph for or like you know spend the fifty dollars to take a picture with them. Avery Brooks is like the exception to that. I, I would like I would fucking love to get a signature and a picture with Avery Brooks. I could, yeah. God, I remember that guy. Ben, he used to be on Spencer for Hire. He's uh he's had quite the varied career. He uh he actually t- taught acting I think at uh, uh NYU while he was doing the uh, Deep Space Nine. Like, oh wow! He, yeah, he would. Do, it was like a distance learning course where he would get on a camera and like uh it was through the internet in the early days of the internet. And so he would literally, like, he'd be in his Starfleet uniform, like, teaching acting classes. That's <laughs> fucking brilliant. So I, I've had this book for a while, and I think there's three in the series now. It's called Star Trek, like, Myriad Universes. I think that's the name of the first one, but the, the, all three books are similar. They're, they're super thick volumes, and they're made up of, uh, like, stories that are each, like, a couple hundred pages or a hundred pages long that are a look at uh, alternate universes in, uh, in Star Trek. And I finished the first story in the first book. And it was something that originally had kind of turned me off because it's very enterprise-oriented, but I finally have kind of tried to integrate that a little bit more with my Star Trek. And it's the whole plot, and it seems very relevant to today. So I think you, you, I think you might really enjoy it. It's the, in Enterprise... Before the Federation was founded, Earth, and specifically Archer, had done a lot of legwork to establish like this uh, coalition of worlds. And even though it eventually fell apart, it's what was like the foundation to the Federation. And because I haven't, I, I haven't hit this point in Enterprise yet, but I just know this from my obsessive knowledge of Star Trek. It's the when this was being founded, there was a terrorist attack on Earth by uh, xenophobic humans who didn't want to be part of the bigger universe well in this alternate universe earth decided to abandon the coalition of worlds before it was founded and so in this world it's just the united earth's uh probe space agency and so earth is in it's like it has colonies you know it has some worlds that it trades with but like Vulcan, Tellarite, all of them formed their version of the Federation without Earth. And Kirk is a xenophobe who hates Vulcans because his wife, Carol Marcus, and son, David, were killed in this accidental like Vulcan attack. And it's like all these characters that you love to see all acting very xenophobic and hate-filled. And you can kind of see a little bit of today's America in there. And it's a little bit sad to see some of your characters who are larger than life act like that. But it's, I don't know, I've really enjoyed the story and seeing some of them work through some of their bigotry and McCoy shame people with his talk of Martin Luther King. It's, it's a really good read. 
<laughs> sounds um, interesting. Yeah, so I mean, each book like has a premise. Like each story has a premise like that. Like one, it's where the like Khan and his supermen like they won the eugenics war, and Bashir is this like great leader because of his you know he leads normal men because he is a a genie. Yes, he is a he has the gene the gene resequencing. He's the genetic Superman. And he, it's the Enterprise never found Khan, and it's his ship finds the Botany Bay. And oh they, wow! Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stories like that. It's, it's pretty neat. So I would recommend if you like the what if stuff, because we talked about in episode 17 a lot of those DC Elseworld stories. This is some Star Trek ones. One other quick thing I forgot to mention a couple issues back or episodes back was. If you're a fan of horror comics, the last episode or the last issue of uh, Harrow County from Dark Horse came out, I think about a month ago, and that was a series that I've continuously liked almost from the first issue on. Like, so I've been picking it up monthly. So it kind of sucks that the series is over, but it was a really good series. It has a nice starting point and stopping point. So I'm a huge fan of Dark Horse. I've said that a lot. But if you like horror comics, and it's by Colin Bunn, he's does a lot in the comic world now he's kind of a big deal you should pick this up nice yeah you you've been reading anything uh as of right now uh not really it's been uh uh, wallowing in self-pity playing way too many fucking video games and also applying for a shit ton of jobs i see you a lot on no man's sky yeah 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 definitely i i have i have with the new expansion on No Man's Sky, I have found a uh, ASMR fucking pit to fall into, filled with little bleeps and bloops and droning noises of refiners, and basically it's Minecraft, but prettier. It's it's weird. We both have been having some employment issues at the same time, because I just started a new job, and I don't want to get into a lot of that on the air. Um, some of my feelings about the old job and the new job, but uh, yeah, and my wife... I talked about this, had lost her job. So, yeah, it's the three of us have been going through some shit. And I think that is also why I'm sure you guys have noticed, since we're your favorite podcast, that uh, it's been spotty lately. The We've been doing the episodes. I just have uh, my schedule's been changing for me, uh, and it's been affecting me editing them. I'm sorry. I always feel like I make these big excuses. I'm working on it. I'm hoping to get it more consistent, like we had a good run for a while. You guys just kind of need to be patient while Cruz and my life like falls apart. So. Yes. Yes. We'll eventually piece it back together. <laughs> Hopefully better than it was before. Yeah, I mean, if you guys continue to support us on Patreon, we, uh, we won't need this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get that shit set up. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So that, that's, that, that pretty much sums up my last couple of weeks. Uh, Lots of fucking video gaming. Lots of my wife telling me to get the fuck off the couch and do something productive with my life. Uh, and, yeah, being kicked out, freaking screaming and dragging to fucking do that. And going out doing stupid fucking interviews and all that shit. Occasionally flying the drones around every once in a while. It sounds like you're <sighs> keeping pretty busy. It, 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 yeah, that, and then, you know, I've got a shit ton of kids that are all now fucking school age, so back to school was an incre- incredibly intense nightmare. Uh, I really need to tell my mom thanks for how the fuck she managed to get four kids fucking to school, because 
it's not easy. Yeah, it's like herding cats, right? It is so like herding cats. It's like herding angry, sullen cats. They're feeling like they're pre-teenagers. Let me, let me ask you a question, Cruz. With so much going on, do you have time to always get to the grocery store and to purchase fresh food and fresh ingredients? <laughs> yes, I do. Oh. But sometimes I just need, I need a little help with that. Because me and my wife, with our hectic schedules and, uh, you know, I don't always have time between uh, the jobs I work and uh, finding solace in this podcast that distracts me from what a, a horrible shell of a life I actually am living. I don't always have time to get to the store. Sounds like you and your wife are in the same situation. What if I told you that there was a service out there that would, uh, that would send fresh ingredients straight to your door? Really? Do yeah. tell. Yes. Well, let me tell you about Red Apron. Red Apron is a service put together by, uh, by Martians who they know the, the, the value of fresh, fresh, fresh. And I, when I say fresh, I mean straight from the birth canal. Fresh. How fresh? Meat. I mean straight from between her legs and onto your plate. Fresh. Red Apron. Wow. Just because the world has ended and we're in the Martian apocalypse doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice quality or flavor. That's awesome. So, I mean, ears, noses, entrails, thighs, fingers, toes, whatever you want. Fresh, the freshest ingredients possible, the freshest meat possible. And they send you the recipes. So, I mean, we have a lot of fun. We get a box. We don't know what's in there. We slice it up. We cook it. It's great. I think anybody else out there who's a fan of, say, meat, <laughs> fresh ingredients, um, is this all locally sourced and organic? Yes, absolutely. This is grown, and if you're if you're a fan of the environment, which it's a big in the news today, this is all responsibly grown in their humane death birth farms, just right outside of Chicago. So don't take my word for it. Use promo code at checkout, baby guts, and you get your first week free. Remember, it's Red Apron. Don't be a kill raven. Give it a chance. Red Apron. <laughs> Fucking dying over here. <laughs> it was fun because you didn't know it was coming. <laughs> he fucking caught me so off guard with that shit. <laughs> I almost forgot. <laughs> oh, is it locally sourced? <laughs> their death birth facility so, it's, like fresh. it's so fresh it comes right from the birth canal to your plate <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant so oh my face hurts so much from laughing yeah so we're, we're not one of those podcasts that's gonna slip stupid advertisements into your uh into your guys's podcast you 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 come here for two hours of star trek talk <laughs> you don't come here to get uh to get uh Hipster commercials on services you're not going to need, or we're just, but you know, we're just uh, offended that we're not popular enough to get those offers. <laughs> One of the two. So enjoy, uh, enjoy the uh, the Red Apron advertisement. <laughs> Might tell my mom not to listen to this one, <laughs> or just not say anything and uh, see, see what happens. Yeah. 
So what'd you think about that promo, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> that will be a fun conversation. Oh my god. And I'm sure you're <sighs> gonna say that was unnecessary and that was completely unwarranted. How do you define unwarranted? Oh shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that fuck was unwarranted, okay? <laughs> okay. So Oh man, oh my face hurts so bad. As it should. Okay, you ready to do this? Yeah, uh, mandatory forty minutes of pregame is over, so let's go. Yeah, again, if you guys want to uh, hit us back on any of these topics, because maybe you're an Alex Jones fan who's a fair, a friend, uh, offended by Red Apron, Comic Book Dungeon Podcast at Gmail dot com. I would love to hear that. Or if you have the sense of humor of a ten year old like I do and thought that was hilarious. Let us know. That was hilarious. Okay, we are covering the Punisher Summer Special issue one. This is uh, the nineteen. This is from August of nineteen ninety one, with a fat cover price of two dollars and ninety five cents. So holy a, inflation! Yeah, this is uh, this is much different than the Kill Raven we've been covering. But this is forty eight pages, no ads. So you're not going to get a red apron ad in here, guys. We had to slip it in. Mm-hmm. That's what she said. <laughs> She's never said that to me. <laughs> so, what do you think of this cover? Okay, the cover is cool, but I don't, I don't think that actually matched with anything that was inside. Oh, it absolutely did not. And and one, I'm one. I don't think I recall a story that involved people going crazy from the heat. Uh, this is true. I also don't recall. I've read quite a few Punisher issues, and I've never seen uh, those red nipples on his costume before. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was wondering if maybe it was just the fact that my fucking 41-year-old eyes can't see shit anymore. But, uh, yeah, the uh, the red nipples definitely was a touch. So, on this cover, we have the Punisher, and uh, he's more or less wearing his traditional Punisher <coughs> garb. And in the skull, in the uh, eye sockets, there's two red eyes. And, of course, they're unfortunately where his nipples would be. So, again, if you're immature like I am or I think like we are, those absolutely (laughs) just look like nipples, like peeking in his costume. And I don't see how any editor looked at that and didn't have a problem with with, uh, that he's off-model there. And it looks uh, a bit ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, plus it's summertime. It's not cold enough for that shit to happen. <laughs> That's a good point. So this whole this whole cover is very strange. I'm not exactly sure what is going on on this cover. We have the Punisher, and for some reason he's like the Hulk. He's picking up a guy. He totally has this guy over his head, and he's about to throw it at another dude who's coming at him with a kitchen knife. Yep. Then there's a guy in the foreground who... I don't know if the Punisher, if this is supposed to be he's on a building. Because it looks like there's a guy scaling the side of this building with an Uzi in his hand and coming at him. Yeah. And then in the background, it looks like um, Dog the Bounty Hunter is grabbing the mom, Lily, from the Munsters. And I don't know if he's holding her hostage or, or what. And we see what I'm assuming is New York City in the background. So, yeah, I, I would say it's an intermediate roof, you know, like a lower roof next to a couple more adjacent taller buildings. Yeah. And uh, that behind to the right of uh, the Punisher, 
that wooden looking structure looks like an old style uh, water tower That's or water I, tank. That's what I think it is as well. Yeah, that would be used to uh, feed water into the building below it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's a very weird cover. I, I don't know how I can't imagine a situation that led up to this happening. No, 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 uh, and yeah, no. <laughs> I, I think I I don't know. I had some issues with uh, some of these stories. Yeah, it. I, I think they they definitely it's the first one was okay, and it's like they got a little bit worse as they went along. I thought the first one was okay. The second one was so so. The third one really tried for a more serious and artistic note, and I think I don't know. It it, it really tried to say a lot more while not blatantly out and out saying you know saying what they were shooting for and i think it came off fairly well uh, a fourth one i don't even remember that's good yeah because I, I yeah i i remember looking at it and thinking oh this is gonna suck and then not being impressed at the end it was for it, i was surprised it's, it's pretty openly bigoted ah yeah 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 oh yeah okay damn it now i fucking remember thank you maybe this yeah. is me being lazy i i don't want to i guess keep flipping back so i was i think we should just do all the creative teams now on each story i wholeheartedly concur do you just want to alternate like i'll take one and you take one yeah take one story i'll take one story i'll take the next story well um i'm, I'm gonna take the cover we have roderick mm-hmm. delgado uh for cover uh covers and back cover art michael bear cover finishes jimmy Palmiati, interior cover art, Juan Priz Martinez, logo and story title designs, and Derek Ock, title page art. Mm-hmm. So for the uh, Bombs R Us story, you've got uh, Pat Mills and Tony Skinner on script, uh, Val Mayrick on pencils, Armando Gill on inks, Pat Brousseau on letters, and Ed Lazalari on colors. Nice. Cross purposes? Peter David's script, and he's a he's a heavy hitter. Going back to Star Trek, he's penned several Star Trek novels and had an entire series of uh, expanded universe novels based off of his characters, uh, Star Trek Excalibur. Mark Texiera, Breakdowns. Michael Bear Finishes. Phil Felix Letters and Greg Wright Colors. On Independence Day, you've got... Dan Slot on script, Mike Harris on pencils, Jimmy Palmiotti on inks, Bill Oakley on letters, and Joe Rosas on colors. Uh, Dan Slot is quite the heavy hitter at Marvel. He's he wrote Spider Man for I think the last like ten years. If you're a fan of Superior Spider Man, that was Dan Slot. He did this most recent Silver Surfer run. Again, he's a heavy hitter. Hit, heavy hitter, and Bill Oakley is uh, has quite the storied history in the Marvel bullpen. And wish granted, the story that I wish we didn't have to talk about, Will Murray script, Rodney Ramos art, Pat Brasiu <laughs> letters, Santiago Oliveira's colors. All right. So at the very bottom, we've got Karen, Kevin Kobazic, uh, managing editor-designer, Don Daly editor, Tom DeFalco, God, Falco, editor-in-chief. Okay. And that's it. This first page that we open up on is arguably my, I think, my favorite in the issue. Yes. 
Fuck yes, absolutely yes. Okay. Brilliantly done first page. Oh, I had such high hopes after reading this first page. I, I'm gonna say I, I really like this first story. It was very invocative of a lot of those early '90s Punisher stories I read as a kid. And I mean, they don't hold up nearly as well as like the Marvel Knights Punisher stuff does, but. I mean, as like a twelve-year-old in the '90s or a fourteen-year-old in the you know in the in the the early '90s, this was this was some really this was what the Punisher was, and it was awesome. So, <laughs> um, we open up here where it's it's exactly what you think a mobster's mansion would look like. There's security cameras, there's armed guards, there's dogs, and it is uh it's locked up like a fortress. Yep. However, that does not stop Frank Castle because when he sees like a challenge like that, all he sees are just this. He doesn't see uh, an unstoppable or a, an unstop a problem that's going to stop him. All he sees are different solutions. So he was. I would want to know why, how he was granted an audience, but we we know the Punisher is a master of disguise. So instead of trying to slip in with weapons, when he went in, he slipped a micro locator chip in the mobster Joe Toto's drink and that he's going to use that as a homing device. Which, uh, brilliantly done. Uh, and, uh, well, yeah, and the reason why he's doing that is because uh, this place is a fortress. Bulletproof glass, you know, any, you know, any one of the normal means of taking out this guy are uh, pretty much off the table. So he slips him that chip and uh, he basically gets i guess the equivalent of a uh what would it be it wouldn't be like a stinger missile it would be a uh uh fuck i don't know i don't know the term basically it, it's it's a missile that locks onto a homie beacon and fucking goes in yep the guy drank the the chip a punisher calls this the barium meal bomb and he, you see him shoot it and it starts to angle and turn and it locks in on the uh the mobster who's playing poker with uh, some of his associates, and he, the missile just goes right through the window and is homing in right on his stomach. So there's definitely a window of opportunity where uh, if the Punisher didn't move on this, uh, this the, the the chip would have been out of his system. So, yeah, I mean, if if he had if he had diarrhea immediately after eating that thing, game over, man. So, but that uh, that didn't happen. Punisher it looks like he came back uh, later that day. And it looks like it, the, the missile blew up the entire house, if we go by the, uh, the next page. Yeah. Ba -ba -ba kaboom So that, uh, <laughs> that takes us to the next page where the Punisher, he goes to the covert uh, security and or international exhibition. What? Punisher goes to a con? Yes, but instead of a Comic-Con, this is where he says all the you know, government agents or spooks go to get their, what should be illegal tech. He calls it the secret policeman's fair. Right, yeah. So he, he's going through kind of cataloging everything and, you know, doing the inner monologue of exactly how they could be used to fucking lethally and non-lethally fuck some people up. Yep. Some of the displays are quite fun, like shock the assailant. <laughs> it looks like uh, if you've ever seen like the artwork on like the joy buzzers they used to sell, but instead yes. of a joy buzzer, you're murdering somebody with this electric uh, uh, shock yeah. baton. Exactly. 
So as he's cruising through, he bumps into apparently an old colleague of his. Yeah, who's dressed like Cesar Romero for, uh, as the Joker from the Bat from Batman uh, 1960. <laughs> nailed it! Nailed it! Nailed it! Nailed it! That's exactly who I thought he was. Yes. I don't think that that is unintentional, because if you see that close-up on the bottom right panel, I mean, that totally looks like Cesar Romero, right? Yes. Yeah, I think they played this guy up to definitely be kind of a Joker-esque foil for Frank. Absolutely. So, uh, the Punisher knows this guy. He uh, knew him in Nam, and we've talked about this before. This is like my pet peeve, that it's like everybody Frank ever came across in Nam is now a drug dealer or a sociopathic serial killer and that Frank has to deal with in the here and now. And that's not any different from this guy who is uh, Colonel Desaad who uh, his claim to fame was uh, he, during an interrogation, skinned a Viet Cong woman alive. So he was known for his uh, insanity and his brutality. Yep. And he looks fucking batshit crazy. Yeah, he uh, apparently he was in the institute, or a mental institution for a while, and I'm not sure why they let him out, because the first <laughs> thing he does is go to a, an illegal weapon fair and is buying a ton of equipment. Yes, and handcuffs. Yeah, he's got a fun night planned. It sucks that there's no page numbers here. If we go to that next page, uh, it, he's handing all of his gear to a henchman. Who does that henchman look like to you? Um, Harry White. To me, that absolutely. I mean, look at the look at the head. Think think Die Hard. Because that was. Oh my God! It doesn't like Bruce Willis. It, it exactly looks like a late nineteen eighties Bruce Willis. I, I mean, it's so exact to me. I, I, I can't imagine that was unintentional. I think that they absolutely modeled that guy on on Bruce Bruce Willis. <laughs> um, and this is not. And this clearly this this the woman on the bottom page is not modeled after her. But the first thing I saw when I read this was I'm blanking on her name. The Russian agent who was infiltrating all the NRA and like prayer oh, okay. meetings. Yep. That's who she reminds me of. And of course, you see her, she's handling a weapon and she's infiltrated this, uh, this, this pro gun community. <laughs> but I, I digress. Oh, man. So, yeah, Frank uh, feels something is up with his old buddy, uh, Monsieur, what's his fucking name? Desaad. Desaad. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So I guess he's decided to make it his business. Yeah. Uh, Desaad doesn't like that and asks him to stay out of his business. Which, right. Yeah. Knowing yeah. Frank Castle, I'm sure this is the last we're going to hear of this, and he's going to go on his merry way. Of course. I have a real problem with this top panel on the next page. So the guy tells Frank to stay out of his business. So Frank says uh, it's the last thing he's going to do. So he's been shadowing Desaad and his gang for the last four days. So, to shadow his gang, he's just literally wearing his Punisher costume and following the guy like 30 feet behind his van in a bright red motorcycle. Right, and clearly in a visible zone, too. (laughs) Yes. So, I don't know how you could miss a guy in a black costume (laughs) with a white skull on a red motorcycle 30 feet behind your van, but that's... The Punisher, who's a master of disguise and tactics, that was his brilliant plan. Yeah, that that, that yeah, that went really, really well for him. <laughs> but it did. It really did, because the guy didn't know he was there. Colonel decided was clueless. 
Yeah, he was fairly clueless until the uh, till they uh, got back. Oh no, hold on. So yeah, what they stop and they they stop at a bank and make a withdrawal. Probably because of the cost of food is so expensive, they would really benefit from Red Apron. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, decide and his goon squad stop at the bank. They make a little draw. This is. Uh, I want to say this was a, a pretty brilliant maneuver by Desaad. He bought basically a riot tank, but then he painted it up and mocked it to up to look like a a, a bank security van. Yeah, yeah, and that that was definitely a, a pretty clever ploy. Yes, it, the subterfuge didn't last long because even though his henchmen are wearing riot gear, it still looks kind of policey. He again walks in, dresses the Joker, so the jig is up immediately. Yeah, so he comes in, you know, hey, hands in the air, that usual spiel, fires off a couple of shots, and everyone's down. They get a vault attendant to uh, unlock the vault, one of the one of the tellers to open up the, the money drawers and let her in. And uh, this is the point. At the bottom of this panel is the start of uh, where he, he starts showing his jokerish tendencies. Yeah, that low, the lower right panel, his hair looks a little bit green, and he's got it almost looks like he has lipstick on. I mean, they're absolutely yeah. playing up the jokerness of it. But yeah, you see, oh. in all these scenes, like he's using the tech he bought at the uh, uh, the convention. Like he's using like these ferret rounds. He's using gas rounds. He's you know blowing holes through like the teller windows. So I'm glad he could get all that shit without a background check. Mm-hmm. Imagine if this was today, he could just 3D print all that shit. Yep, America. Yes. Like you said, he's now he's doing his 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 full on Joker routine. He finds this uh, girl who he thinks is pretty, tells her to get on her knees. She says, "Oh God, please don't hurt me." He tells her he enjoys being called God. He says, "This <laughs> is going to hurt. I'm going." He's not happy with the way she looks, and he's going to recreate you. And you think that he, he pulls out this knife and you think that he's slashing away at her face while she's screaming and he just cuts off all of her hair. Yeah, and she faints. He calls it a bob? I mean, I don't know a lot about women's hairstyles. That does not look like a bob to me. It's not bobbing. No, that's that's more like a G.I. Jane. That's exactly what I was thinking to describe it, the G.I. <laughs> Jane. Yeah, we are absolutely in sync on this one. So he uh, she faints... He wants to work on her, go to work on her face. Uh, his cronies tell him, his henchmen say there's no time. The police are there. So he says he'll have to wait at least until the party tonight. So he now starts shooting gas canisters at the police and they get away. Yep, he manages to incapacitate the cops. They get to the riot tank and off they go. But uh, unbeknownst to them, Frank has... Uh, Hitched a ride on the roof of the riot tank. I love his master, like Frank's master tactics here. I'm gonna follow them in a bright red motorcycle, and then while they're committing a crime, just I'm gonna climb on top of their van. This, uh, it just <laughs> feel like Frank was really trying this story. No, no, <laughs> he, he wasn't, and it shows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this chase scene was pretty cool. They're getting away from the cops. And again, another toy that they bought from the uh, convention was these low friction or this low friction plastic confetti, which they drop on the ground so the cops lose their traction and they crash into and destroy some guy's plant store. Oh well, oops! Bye bye plants. 
So Frank's yeah, he tells uh, he tells us he's not the they're not the only ones who bought toys from the convention. He was looking at uh, an Excalibur, which is a large uh, large firearm. He's now filed off the inside so it could shoot uh, armor piercing rounds. So he's just biding his chance to be away from civilians so he can uh, fuck up the colonel here and his men. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see. He's uh, still on the roof, and they're heading back to their headquarters. And I, I guess they've got cameras covering everything, and somehow they spot him. Yeah, it's if you look at the top of the van, there's actually a video camera you can see up there. And so when you look at the the screen, the guy's screen, you can see like the Punisher's foot. I think it's just if you go back a page or two, you can literally see there's a video ca- a camera that can spin around and get 360 degree views on the van. So the Punisher's just sitting like a foot from the the, the security camera. That's how they caught him. Yeah, <laughs> really smart, Frank. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you think that when you climb up there, like I'm gonna watch out for that camera thing or disable it or something. Right. So yeah, he's pretty much freaking sitting right next to it. He gets ID'd, and uh, apparently this fence, this va- uh, van has some very interesting active countermeasures. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. They uh, they electrify the hull of the van with uh, eleven thousand watts. And they knock the Punisher off. Oh, yeah. They zap that boy good. And then they, they zap him again, which that was... I like that they how they do this, but you would think you wouldn't want to zap him twice in a row. But they have a squirt gun on top that shoots electric... It's an electrified water jet. So while they're squirting him, uh, he's able to shoot the truck. And I, I mean, that, that's realistic to me because when your muscles are contracting when you're electrocuted... That's why like, it would make sense his trigger finger, would, it would still pull the trigger. Right, right. There, there's actually a really cool issue of G.I. Joe where there's a, 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 a bomber on a plane and that's how they defeat him because the guy's got a, a, a dead man switch. So they continuously tase him and throw him off the plane so he couldn't let go of the switch if he wanted to. Anyway, yeah. kind of neat, but I digress. So old Frank gets zapped off the roof. He jumps down, gets... Uh, hit with a rubber bullet to the dome. Yeah, this is after he yeah he jumps down after getting electrocuted, gets electrocuted again, shoots a gets a couple armor piercing rounds into the the van. So yeah, they get these explosive rounds inside the van. Well, they're not explosive rounds, but they get a, a actually they are. It says boom as they go in there. So now their van is kind of fucked, and that's when they start shooting the plastic rounds. Right. Uh, which incapacitates Frank, knocks him out. Um, yeah, they so, get him right between the eyes. Uh, Joker 2.0 over here manages, you know, grabs him, ties him down, and decides to waterboard him a little bit. Apparently, as you do, and uh, right? yeah, you see that they've got Frank in a straitjacket, the very same straitjacket that we saw Bruce Willis carrying out of the uh, the uh, convention. Nice. So. Yeah, straight jacketed, tied up, chained, and then Joker starts torturing him. Yep, he's got the electric uh, cattle prod that we saw again at the convention. My only problem is on this page we see like they they're in their warehouse. You know, Frank is on a cinder block with the uh, uh, a straight jacket on. If you look next yep. to Frank, 
They just have a cardboard box full of, like, rocket launchers and weapons. That's not a good thing to have next to Frank. <laughs> no. That's not usually how you store firearms and, uh, and, and armament. No, not at all. So, yeah, they've got all that stored there. Uh, old boy continues to fucking torture Frank. Well, Frank is asking for it. Well, true. He he is literally asking for it and egging this asshole on. Yeah, every time he's like, you had enough? Like, no. You know, or fuck you. I'm nothing like you. He just, uh, you know, like, did that put, do you feel punished yet? Not quite. Didn't hit the spot. Yeah, he's purposely antagonizing him to get electrocuted. Mm-hmm. But why would Frank do that? Frank likes to get people pissed. Oh. Or he's just buying some time. Well, apparently when they put the uh, straitjacket on him, they dislocated his shoulders. And he's using the electricity to contort his, his joints, hoping to the point that they'll get go back in his sockets. And then when he can use his arm again, he's hoping to grab... Uh, he's got a credit card knife, uh, like in the back of his pants, that he would be able to reach. So it's very strategic. He's trying to get them to put his arms back in the socket so he can uh, escape. Yep, smart man. Yes. So he uh, keeps egging him on and manages to get his wish. So he, he frees off that uh, credit card knife, unties himself, and uh, delivers a very sound punch to uh, Joker 2.0's face. Yeah, we see at least three teeth go flying. I mean, fucking Frank here, he has a backhand like John McEnroe. <laughs> and a mouth like him too <laughs> man i mean the colonel now looks like uh mike tyson with the fucking with his grill i mean because there's just there's enough teeth on the ground to make a necklace <laughs> uh bruce willis does not appreciate this and as uh frank he's got the straight jacket off he's still got these leg irons on and so bruce willis is coming at him with a crowbar frank Throws the uh, straight jacket at him and does a real Zangief style kick to the face. Like he's doing like a side push up with one arm and Zangief like both feet into this guy's face. <laughs> Twists his legs around the guy's head. So now he's got his leg, his, uh, uh, his leg cuffs his, uh, the, uh, around the guy's neck and now uses those chains to uh, crack the guy's neck. It's wonderful looking. Yeah, then uses the guy's own crowbar to get these uh, the the leg irons off. Yeah, yeah, it, that that probably was the highlight of well, other than the first page was probably the highlights of this episode uh, issue for me. Oh, I this next page I thought was it, it, it's a high point for me. The Joker, he just he doesn't care about uh, style originality. He starts shooting at the Punisher, but the Punisher goes for that cardboard box. And pulls out that giant uh, weapon out. And even the Punisher doesn't know what it does. Shoots it at the Joker. The Joker standing here. And it's a barbed wire cannon. So wraps the guy up in barbed wire. I see. That's a fitting end. Well, yeah. How could this get any worse for uh, the Joker here, Colonel Desaad? Well, maybe there could be an excess of gas from that plane that almost th that did crash. And that could be running down the street, and there could be no way to get it up. And he is an airport mechanic, after all, or something, right? Did you say the plane that crashed? No, the van that crashed. Sorry, my bad. I'm like, man, when we read, like, a different story. Yeah, the, the, the van. Sorry. Yeah, I, the I, I, yeah. Plane, <laughs> van, same difference. Yeah, the van got shot, you know, in the firefight, and it's leaking gas. So the, uh... 
Punisher just leaves this guy wrapped in barbed wire. Uh, he gets lit up. And it's, the Colonel Desaad loves this, because it's, he's, he can either sit there and get burned to death, or cut himself to death trying to escape in the barbed wire. It's pretty brutal. Death of a thousand cuts. Yeah, this, this, this bat, this last page is kind of lame, because he's, even though he's dying, he's happy, because he's like, oh, this is so beautiful, I've turned you into me, I've made you a convert. The, The Punisher's nothing like you, the Punisher kills criminals, and I'm not advocating that. But this guy tortures innocent people and robs banks for money. Having the Punisher kill him and saying they're the same, that makes no sense. Yeah, no. And, and the ending was a little unsatisfactory. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to see a guy burned to death in barbed wire, but this whole, nope, it's me that made the convert another dead criminal. Just, that just didn't seem like a high beat to go out on. Right. So, I mean, I, I like the story. I just, I think that we could have, uh, we could have gotten a rewrite on that, and it could have been a little bit better. Yeah, it could, it could have been tightened up a little bit. Okay, you could have put that plane in there that crashed. <laughs> yeah, that plane could have, could have come in, or they could have just, they could have settled this all over a delicious meal of red apron. Oh yeah, I get some red apron in there. I heard the baby back ribs are awesome with barbecue sauce. Yeah, yeah, I, I put that at the end of one of the episode, the death birth episodes. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was a real high point for me. I think dead baby jokes are are just. I'm not gonna say are necessarily funny, but I feel that we're exploring by exploring more controversial forms of of humor here. Uh, I think we're really pushing the envelope and creating an enjoyable product. What was maybe not the most enjoyable product? I mean, this wasn't a bad story, but cross purposes is our next one. Uh, you don't seem like you were a fan of this one. You know, uh, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever read, but it was by far from the best. I mean, it was super transparent as to, as to what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, you know it, it acted like it was making a big revelation towards the end when really, you know, it wasn't. You had to be an idiot not to see it coming. I, I agree with you. This one felt very phoned in. Yeah. I, I mean, it's... I don't know. It was pretty lame. You know, it, 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 it starts off the usual with Frank casing out of place. He's got a target. You know, he's got his whole inner monologue thing fucking going up full gear. Um, and he's just he's just waiting. You know, waiting for his tar- target to make the mistake. And what he's waiting for here is two of these two mobsters, uh, father and son, uh, both uh, named Bartlett. They <laughs> never leave their mansion, which is a fortress, which we saw just in the last story. That's not a problem for Frank to, to get to uh, with the, uh, the microchip and the barium. But anyway, he waited because he knows the senior mobster, the senior Bartlett. This restaurant's his favorite place. So the Punisher's been casing it. And we see these mobsters with their henchmen come in and sit across at the table across from Frank. Yeah, so they're all, uh, yeah. Apparently, there's some animosity between Bartlett Senior, Bartlett Junior. They're they're talking some business talk. Yeah, his dad seems like kind of a dick. Right, and uh, one of the goon squad uh, seems to recognize Frank uh, across the restaurant. Well, Frank doesn't wear a mask, so I can see why he would. Um. Yeah. 
I do have a quick question for you. Yep, go ahead. Frank is ordering. The waitress says, ready to order, sir? If you'd like a suggestion, suggestion, the chicken sandwich is on special. And he asks her, ever seen five easy pieces? I didn't know what that meant, so I looked it up, and it it doesn't really... I mean, I guess I can see kind of where they're going. Do you know what Five Easy Pieces is? Uh, no, no. Enlighten me. It is a movie from 1970 starring Jack Nichol- or Nicholson where he's a like son of a very famous like pianist or something. Like they're basically he's this like really rich like upper crust white bread just uh individual who turns his back on that life and uh gets a job in an oil field and lives a real blue-collar existence, and dates a waitress, and then when his dad's dying, he has to go home. So, I mean, I guess the connection here is that's the Punisher trying to kind of hit on the waitress, because the... But, I mean, the whole backstory doesn't match up. I don't know why the... I guess that's him signaling, like, I, I my interest in you, because the main character in that dates a waitress, but it seems like a very... seems like very bad dialogue in a very flimsy premise yeah so i don't know i don't know if you had if you had ever seen five easy pieces or if you had additional insight in it because my me reading a paragraph on wikipedia of what it was about didn't really shine a lot of light on this you know what by by most internet standards you have gone above and beyond because at least you tried to look into you know the source material a little bit my uh, my job, I feel, is not just to entertain, but to inform. And I usually feel like oh. I don't do either, so. Oh, so, yeah, Frank is hitting on to the well-endowed waitress. And all the meanwhile, you know, eagerly looking on at the uh, the mob boss across the way. And, you know, he knows that the goon squad is uh, pretty much well-trained to spot anybody with the telltale bulge of a firearm under their jacket so he had came to this place earlier cased it out and set up a gun underneath one of the tables to make it easy for him to grab in case his target showed up how did he do that with nobody noticing and it seems like a what if a kid had come in with his family like right afterward and shot his parents or something yeah those are two very good questions this was very sloppy yeah, I mean, who the fuck duct tapes a fucking? It looks like it looks like the Dirty Harry Special Forty Four fucking Magnum. That's exactly long what it barrel. is. It's the Super Red Hawk Forty Four, and it absolutely it looks like a Dirty Harry pistol. I mean, this thing it's is like, huge. Yeah, when it's it's comically huge. It you is know, like it is longer I'm, than my arm. I'm sure on the fucking advertisements for it, it's like when you must absolutely positively ensure it's dead. Use the fucking blah 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 Nighthawk fucking forty four fucking special. Super Red Hawk. I am looking at images of it right now. It it is comically big compared to what I'm seeing online. Nice. That one. I it's mean, it's huge. But I mean, again, this one is as long as mine. I guess some of these. Nah, uh, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. So uh, Frank's ready to freaking do the deed. And somewhere outside, uh, some idiot's got some car trouble, uh, loses control, and the car spins out and goes ba-boom. Hold on. They shoot a rocket. The, like the, oh. Yeah, this was a hit. 
Oh, yep, you're right. You're right. The car is coming. Okay, it's the freaking sh- poorly executed drive-by with a rocket launcher. My bad. Yeah, I mean, just how many innocent people could get hurt in that? I mean, th- th- just the risk of that. How do they? How do they uh, defend the uh, the risk there? Um, no witnesses. This is how I define unwarranted. God damn it! <laughs> I mean, Will Decker. He he pegged it. That was an unwarranted risk. But anyway, I mean, they they face-fucked that building. And on their way out, just to... Uh, I love the guy says, I'm laying down an insurance policy. And he's just shooting an Uzi into the uh, the rubble. Just to be sure, like, nobody's following them. Oh. Well, yeah, insurance policy's coming like freaking small caliber rounds. I'm not sure if we had mentioned this. Uh, the father and son had had a falling out, and the son had said he was... His stomach was cramping, and he was going to the bathroom right before the hit happened. Ooh, that seems suspicious to me. <laughs> That's great timing. So what is not great timing was that the Punisher was there and got caught up in this because a beam fell across his back. So he's he can't breathe because he's going to get a uh, lung full of smoke, and he's just sitting there unable to move. When the sun comes back, uh, the younger Bartlett... And actually sees Frank and helps lift the beam off him and saves his life. Hmm. Right. So he helps Frank out. Uh, I guess they kind of buddy-buddy it up. And uh, he gives Frank a ride home to his place. Well, yeah, they both agree that they don't want uh, yes intervention. Yes. So they head to his pad, which is basically a fucking fortress. It looks like that oh, the the fortress from the uh, the the last story, pretty much. And Frank is afraid to give his real name, so instead of Frank Castle, he tells him he's Frank Knight, which makes sense that he Frank Knight, as in Michael Knight, wouldn't want police involvement. I admit. Yeah, I admit that was a weak segue. That was like my ringtone for like six years. That's one of my favorite freaking, like, TV show themes. I, I fucking love that show. I mean, it, it is... <sighs> Fuck, that show is so awesome. I have every season but the last one, I think, on uh, DVD. And it is not a good show. I mean, if you go back, it is, it is asinine. I mean, just none of it holds up. But just the nostalgia factor, I fucking love that show. Well, look, yeah, there's, 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 like, two or three things you have to have in a Knight Rider episode. Uh, there's got to be a turbo boost jump. Yeah, I was about to say that's that's you cannot have that the turbo boost was standard, so I absolutely agree. Yeah, at some point throughout the show, Kit has to say, "Michael, I don't understand." And there has to be a sequence where Kit is driving on two wheels backwards. <laughs> I I guess I'm going to, I I'm going to uh uh I, I guess take a separate track here. Or, I know I agree with you. The turbo boost. You had to have a turbo boost in every episode. There had to be had a woman. To. There had to be a woman in distress. True. True. Yes. Then there had to be a turbo boost. 
And yeah, there had to be a a naysayer kit. <laughs> Those were three elements in every single one. Okay. Something I don't I don't want to get out too much, I guess, of a tangent, but the one thing that drove me crazy about Knight Rider and the A team was the same way in several episodes. You didn't have to come like strain for explanations on why Kit and Michael got into crazy adventures every week. It was the same thing with the A-team. It was built into the premise. With the A-team, you paid them money because you had a problem and they'd fix it. With Kit, they were part of the foundation of law and government. They would work a new case every every week. So you didn't have mm-hmm. to have stupid explanations. But Hold on. It, okay. Do, do you hear this? I do. My dog is barking at her reflection. Dogs will sometimes do that. Let me sort her out for one second. Don't give the Dobby the off look. You'll have to call again. Okay. She's just leaving. I'm uh, not dressed properly. Okay. Alright. So yeah, it's just something that always drove me crazy with Knight Rider and A-Team. It's when they had episodes, like there's an episode where the A-Team goes camping in like Yellowstone National Park and it's taken over by terrorists. Mm-hmm. Or Michael Knight is on vacation and the town he uh, stops in for gas is taken over by bikers. Yep. I have never, I'm almost 40 and I've never had the, one of those experiences happen to me. You don't have to have these like crazy or like there's the episode where Bonnie moves into an apartment building and they're trying to fake a haunting to scare her out. You, oh, yeah. You don't need to come up with these crazy uh, uh, circumstances to to get Michael Knight involved in the case. He, You can just have that case assigned to him. Like, Michael, a friend of mine has reported these strange occurrences. Like, why don't you go check it out? Gotcha, Devin. Or, we've been approached by the Foundation by one of our benefactors. Apparently, his daughter has seen ghosts, and we want kit scanning equipment. Awesome, Devin. But no, I mean, it's just strange credibility. But I'm, I think I'm wasting time. Uh, we're, di- we're di- digressing a little bit. but Yep. So, Frank Knight is his alias. He comes home <laughs> with uh, Bartlett, who we see his, uh, his kids rush out to meet him. They miss their dad. He gets this huge three-way hug with his kids and his wife because they were so worried. And why are they worried? Because his father was blown up with the bazooka an hour ago. Exactly. So, so he goes, uh, go on, go on. Yeah, you take it. So uh, he, he goes to have a little quality time with the uh, missus and kids and leaves Frank off in, I don't know, a study, office, living room. Is, is enjoying quality time with your wife, is that a euphemism for sex? Occasionally. Yes. I was, I was unclear, because I think it was unlikely, but just the way that uh, Frank said it, it, it just, that was definitely what I think he was implying. He was being a bit smutty. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the first thing I like to do after killing my old man is go bang my wife. Yes. Uh, some, uh, some patricide, and then, yeah. <laughs> yes. Patricide and a, and a little bit of freaking, you know, little copulation. Yeah. Definitely you know, takes a little bit off of that adrenaline rush. Got it. Helps you come down. Yeah. 
Frank doesn't uh, mince words here. He points out that it was uh, quite the coincidence that you know a second after you get up off the table, out of the or out of the table after having a fight with your dad, he's blown up in a mysterious hit. That would make some people suspicious. And what if he went to the authorities about it? Right, and uh, you know Bartlett kind of uh, agrees. And uh, but he asks, he's like, "Why? You know, I didn't have to save you. I could have just left you in the morgue. So, you know, why, if I was guilty, would I have uh, left you there or uh, not left you there?" And he's basically says, "He's like, I'm trying to do things differently. My dad was an asshole, ruling through terror. I try to get loyalty uh, through respect and gratitude." And their inner their conversation is interrupted by. Uh, Looks almost Toxie like a, the Avenger. Yes, that's, that's a great comparison. <laughs> this guy, it's the bodyguard, and it looks like somebody put him in the microwave <laughs> for oh, five seconds too long. What were those? Okay, so think back to the 80s. There was these weird, like, uh, little mini wrestlers that were like muscle. Uh, all muscle men. Yes. Yes. Yes, he looks like one of those. If you've ever read any X-Factor comics, he looks a little bit like Strong Guy from uh, Excalibur. Again, maybe if you left him in the microwave a little too long. <laughs> so it was the guy who was trying to figure out who the Punisher was. He'd seen his face before. So apparently he remembered who he, the Punisher is, and he was alive, just buried under debris. So instead of you know, calling in or whatever, he apparently ran all the way from the restaurant in a hulking rage to go murder the Punisher. Mm-hmm. And boy, is he in a hulking rage because uh, even Frank realizes uh, this is a shitty situation. You know, Frank's like, uh oh. And, and this dude comes in like a fucking freight train and just slams into Frank. I believe the term is choke slam. Yeah, you are 100% correct. Yeah. That is definitely a choke slam. I love that he tells the uh, the scene or the the only surviving Bartlett to shut up, punk, a couple times. I think he's figured out that yeah. he probably the hit was probably orchestrated by him. Yeah, <laughs> I love this next panel, dude. <laughs> next panel is like he's like I never forget a face. I got one of those. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, pornographic memories. <laughs> that is the most '90s Marvel joke I have ever heard. Oh, it is so nineties. Uh, and Frank, Frank, without missing a beat, comes back with, "I got to get me one of those." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, he's being beaten to death by this man mountain with a fire poker, and he's still quipping. So uh, he's able to deflect the fire poker blow because he uses the uh, ash broom, and now the his fire poker hits a bunch of <laughs> glass bottles. Right. <laughs> The it's Punisher, yeah, shoves a broken bottle in the side of his head. That, uh, yeah, I don't think that would kill him instantly like that. Yeah, or at least make him shut up. I mean, it doesn't look like it hit anything vital. No, I mean, it's not like it went into his brain, but it's like it just stops him instantaneously. Yeah, and he just shuts down and falls. You know, maybe the adrenaline finally wore off. <laughs> the guy died twenty minutes ago. Yeah, he just didn't know it yet. Yeah, I mean, I was—I thought a cooler, like he got the fire poker away and stabbed him through the eye. You know, get, came out the other side of like the brain pan, something like that would have been cool. Yeah, just right. I've read this three times, and each time I think that that bottle would not have killed him. Yeah. So this is where the issue falls apart for me. Uh huh. Do tell. Well, the Punisher, 
Uh, well, a guy, uh, another guard busts in wanting to know what's going on, and uh, for some reason he lets the, oh, there's a murder spree going on, let me let, uh, let the mobster's wife and kid in. But he wants to know what's going on, the Punisher hits him with a fire poker, gets his pistol, and now Bartlett has his family in front of him, and he tells them, that's okay, family, I don't want you to get hurt and move. He can, we basically get the, that he knew the entire time this was the Punisher. The Punisher wants to know why he rescued him. And I, this I kind of liked. He said, I don't know. Maybe I was curious what you would do. Maybe I thought uh, you'd be indebted to me. Maybe I felt guilty. I don't really know. But he's like, I won't stop you if you want to kill me. So he wants to know what his sentence is. We see the Punisher shoot three times. And for a second, I'm like, man, he killed the family too? But uh, <laughs> I'm like, that's... It's a little cold-blooded. That's not his code. But instead, he just shot three times around the guy's head and says the sentence is suspended. But if you're as smart as uh, you say you are, you won't make those same mistakes, and you will, uh, you'll be on the up-and-up for now on, because if you're not, you won't like the verdict from the Court of Appeals. The, mm-hmm. uh, the Frank that uh, I, I really like, and I've said this multiple times on the air, it's Frank is like a supernatural force. He's like a shark. There's no reasoning. There's no bargaining. He's like a Terminator. He will not stop until you are dead. So I, I think that I, I mean I'm not saying that this was the wrong thing or for him to do, but I mean the Frank that I like, there is no mortal gray area. It's right or it's wrong. You're guilty or you're innocent. So I think he should have plugged the dude in front of the family. Again, yeah. that's not what I'm saying. He should, like somebody should do in real life. I'm saying for the. For the character and what we like about our, our lovable sociopath Frank, that would have been the fun, the bright course of action. Yeah, I I, I got to agree with you there. I'm surprised they, they took this tack and went with the uh, peaceful coexistence, you know, since he helped him out. We seek peaceful coexistence. I, sorry. <laughs> that always reminds me of a conspiracy with, like, Remick, and he's got, like, the bulging, like, parasite in his neck. And that's, like, right before they, they blow up his head with a phaser. Everything Ugh. goes back to Star Trek. And if Always. it doesn't in your mind, it's because you're not watching a lot, enough Star Trek. So, uh, I guess that wraps up that story. Next one is Independence Day, yeah. which was my favorite one. Yeah, I was going to say, I really like this one, too. And it, it, it really takes a less is more approach. There, there's very little dialogue, very little uh, captioning and narration going on. It, it, it just conveys almost all of it through pictures, which is wonderful. Yeah, there's only there's only a few parts that have dialogue, and I like the part at the very beginning and the very end. It's like the first and last page almost mirror each other. It's really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, this um, the Dan, yeah, this was the Dan Slott one. I'm quite a, a Dan Slott fan. I think you had talked about Superior yeah. Spider-Man before. Maybe uh, yeah, I think so. I yeah, I mean, that, that was all Dan Slott. So, yeah, it, it's, it kicks off. It looks like this is a, uh, you know, a, a police station. Yes. And uh, this guy is Detective McIn, McIn something. Yes, we don't get to see Right, he's uh, got to what looks suspiciously like a rather large bottle of some sort of cheap alcohol, a shit ton of cigarettes. Box of Kleenexes, and what is that paper? It doesn't really make out what's on, what the papers are on his desk, but I'm assuming you know. it's like a death report or the police report on the the death of his wife. That's what I'm guessing. 
So yeah, he he's checking out the wanted posters. He's grabbing his jacket. He's walking out, and it's it's Detect- Detective Mac something because one of the officers says, you know, Mac, and they're all like, "What's with him?" And they're all, "Don't you know?" And they start office office gossip of, you know, hey, you know, don't you know? It was his wife. It was the one who was dot dot dot, which implies probably raped and then killed. And they're all being sympathetic, I guess you could say. You see the one wanted poster he's checking out, Ray Hammond, like he rips it off the wall. So you're supposed to, yeah, like the, the, the dots that they're connecting for us is this Ray Hammond is the guy who, like you said, most likely raped and then murdered his uh, his wife. Right. So uh, Detective Mac here is uh, going on a, a one-man crusade. On the 4th of July. On the 4th of July, he is canvassing the streets, he is talking to people, he's showing them the poster, he's flashing the badge, he's getting leads, he's talking to informants, yeah, and, and it's all conveyed with very few like word bubbles, and everything else is just images, you know? Yes, really well done. Like you said, it's a very less is more approach. Right, so he comes upon what looks like a, a waste disposal area, he climbs underneath the freaking fence, well, gets in there. Who, uh, who directs him over there? Huh. It looks yeah. like Frank. Yeah, it's the Punisher in, uh, uh, wearing a uh, uh, flannel shirt over his skull uh, shirt and uh, hat. I did not catch that. I did not catch that. So, yeah, so Frank you know, points him in the right direction. Yep. He uh, finds the guy, uh, gets into a firefight with him, gives chase, gets disarmed, and he gets stabbed. Yeah, in the back. Yeah. Crush sound. Yeah. Gets stabbed, gets left for dead. Frank freaking comes in. Yeah, he's shedding that flannel shirt from the yep. previous page. Yep. Because when in combat, you don't wear flannel. Nope. Unless you're a lumberjack. <laughs> gets the drop on the guy. That is the coolest fucking one-page splash, right? It's just Frank fucking... Just, just jump. It's just him in midair jumping down, and this junkie dude just the fear of God in his eyes. Yeah, he looks like a total junkie too. It's just like Frank is in this total like sumo wrestler pose in midair. It's, it's fucking. I, I put that up on my wall. It's pretty badass. Yep. He lands with a mighty spash. Right, uh, junkie boy freaking drops the knife. Yeah, the look on his face. I mean, he is quite stunned. And it looks like Frank, again, is in this big sumo wrestler pose. Like, he's he's about to, to fuck some shit up here. Right. So, uh, you know, Junkie Boy runs away. He drops his and, knife. Uh, the Punisher right. picks it up. Right. And uh, Detective Mac is like, uh, you know, he, he's he's down, but he's not out. And he's, he's just whispering, don't let him get away before he... Passes out from exhaustion and his injuries. We get a a scene that mirrors that very first panel where we see his desk, and we see now that his desk is full of a bunch of uh, gift wrap presents and a Snoopy card that says "Get well soon." And now all the cops are saying, "There he is, Mac. Welcome back, sir. Great to have you. How's it feel to be like looking good?" But uh, he doesn't have time for that shit. Right, he goes straight to the freaking post, uh, the wanted board, looks at the freaking wanted poster for Ray Hammond, gets back to his desk, and, uh, you know, there's this package with a... (laughs) It it looks like... I did not know that Frank Castle was an arts and crafts guy. 
It's a jack of all trades. But it uh, looks like there's a, a paper craft skull attached to this uh, package that says DOA in big, bold letters. Okay, in today's day and age, that package would not have gotten very far. <laughs> no, how did the police not notice? They're like, whoa, there's this package with a bit of uh, blood underneath it with a big skull on it that says dead on arrival. Huh, I'm just going to leave that on the uh, on that officer's <laughs> desk. Yeah, let's just leave it right there. I mean, let's just assume Frank got into disguise and left that there. That was probably a hundred officers that probably walked past that. Right. And I mean, did you have any doubt in your mind what was in that box? Oh, not at all. No. Not at all. Which is why I laughed really hard because the guy picks it up and like you would do with the mysterious <laughs> package with a skull on it, he starts shaking it next to his head. But, you know, at least when you see he's got it in his hand, it gives it a sense of scale that it's really not that large. So it can't be that imposing. Tell me again how you got the anthrax on your on your face. <laughs> <laughs> the package with the skull. I shook it and, uh, yeah, I put it next to my head. I licked it a little bit. I just was trying to figure it out, you know. It had a skull on it. It was, yeah. ra- <laughs> it was wrapped in a brown grocery bag with a skull. Right. Okay. So, okay. So this next page, the the middle of this next page made me crack up. All right. So he opens the box and inside the box gift wrapped in, you know, some nice paper and tissue paper is a finger. Yes. One lone finger. The look on his face when he opens it up, for whatever reason, he was not expecting that in the skull dead arrival box. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, he looked a little worried when he opened it up. It cracked me up when he shook it, and then I lost it when I when he <laughs> yeah he opened it. Okay, now, here's the part that had me chuckling. Okay, so in the middle panel, he takes said finger, <laughs> walks it over to the fucking wanted board, <laughs> and then freaking you know takes it in and in, in, in fingerprints it on fucking Ray Hammond's wanted poster. Mind you, he does all this shit with like five or six other cops watching. I, I, I don't know about you, but if I was a police officer and I saw one of my fellow police officers walking around with a severed finger, I would um, I would want to call some attention to that. These you know, are the, I'd, I'd, I'd like to find out what's going on. These were the same officers who either allowed to be delivered or at least walked past the anthrax box for the last yeah. day and a half. You have a point. Yeah, you do have a point. They left the suspicious package alone for a couple of days, so who knows? So, yeah, but but the look on uh, Detective Mac's face when he's done fingerprinting it and seeing that it matches up, it is uh, it 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 looks like uh, satisfaction. Oh, I think he ate the finger. I think that's what that look is. Chicken fingers. Now we're all the way back to the freaking second story. <laughs> Red apron. <laughs> Red apron. <laughs> have you have you ever seen five easy pieces? Yeah, if you want <laughs> ten finger licking deep fried fingers delivered right to your door, again, promo code Detective Mac. <laughs> or anthrax box. We call it the Mac special. <laughs> Okay, and this, again, I, I love that story. I thought that was yeah. a really well-executed story, which is why I got super excited for the next one. And the next one sucks. Right. Yeah, well, hold on. One, one thing I wanted to say. In this entire uh, issue here, uh, I think 
there is only about, and I could be off because I tried doing this as fast as possible, there's only about 25 word bubbles, and I can guarantee you each one of those word bubbles did not have anything more than five words in each bubble, most of them only having two. This was a very quick read. Yeah, that tells you how little uh, exposition he tried putting in there and tried to convey almost everything just through the panels. Yep. That's what impressed me the most about this one. I love okay. when comics do that, when they play with the medium like that. Yeah, well, I think that's getting the most out of the medium because I think comics are more of a visual medium, at least for me. It's more of a visual medium of, of, of art than of actual reading. I mean, there's an episode or an issue of GI Joe. I want to say it's issue 18. It's like the first appearance of Storm Shadow, and it's completely silent. It's Snake Eyes breaks into like a Cobra castle, and you see Storm Shadow had kidnapped Scarlet, and the whole issue is just Snake Eyes just stabbing and shooting his way in, fights Storm Shadow, grabs Scarlet, them fighting their way out, and them like fighting their way to uh, to freedom. In a whole thing without any words, it's a. I mean, I'm not, I'm sure that was probably done at some point before that issue, maybe in some indie book. But I mean, that was the issue that had like made that like that. That's a trope today when somebody does a silent issue, but that was like the original. And again, if yeah, you can think yeah. of an issue before that, write in somebody and correct me. Okay, tasty. And here comes fucking Islamophobia 101, super racist fucking whatever the hell this shit was. That that title is completely you cannot it's just I, I I had to know what it was to know that said wish granted because they did it like graffiti and it's too too graffitified to be easily read. Uh, okay. Fine, fine, Mister. Uh, I have an eye for graffiti for graffiti art. Anyway, we're not here to mock me for not being able to read the title. <laughs> uh, so. This uh, for for those uh, younger readers, you may not know this, but in uh, the early nineties, in nineteen ninety one, we were in Operation Desert Shield, which became Operation Desert Storm. This was the first Iraqi war where we had sent troops in to uh, to fight the forces of uh, Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. So. It's actually funny. My big claim to fame when I was in Iraq in 07 was uh, when we were in the international zone. Uh, Saddam's uh, convoy, the, uh, the convoy that was taking him to his execution, passed us. It was oh, wow. miles long. That's how much security they have on him. But yeah, we passed, or Saddam passed us on his way to be hung. But, uh, and I just mentioned Saddam as well because one of the characters in the story looks like he was very much drawn to resemble Saddam. Yeah, I, I think he was more drawn to resemble stereotypical Middle Eastern dictator. Yeah, I mean, this this story's stupid. And I, I, I hate when fucking shit gets cute with the names. So instead of Baghdad, it's the bombing of Bomb Baghdad. And instead of Iraq, it's Irate. Mm-hmm. And so we have the invasion of of uh, bomb Baghdad in irate. And so because of that, all these international terrorist cells have been activated. And we see three Arabic college students who on flag day, June 18th, and we know it's flag day because they have the fucking poster in their uh, room. 
they are going to go plan a terrorist ex- uh, uh, attack because they've they've just graduated, they've just been uh, from college. That's their, their cover. They've been activated. So yeah, they're going to plan their terrorist attack. And where are they going? Disney World. They are going to fake Disney World. So again, they can't use. Uh, they didn't want to use. Disney, Disney World, because so Disney use, would sue their asses yeah. off. So it's Wizzyland. So we see they have weapons, and now they're all wearing shirts that say "Down with Irate" or "Free Kuwait" as a cover, so people don't realize they're uh, Iradians. They say they're Baharians. Baharians. Okay. So I don't. I don't know if uh, you maybe disagree. I think I'm going to try to speed through this one. Yeah, yeah let's speed and through this one. Yeah. So their plan, this entire issue, they're mocking Americans for having like, oh, people have rights, and oh, prisoners get uh, due process and beds and food. So mm-hmm. they're doing this their entire way to Wizzyland. They get on a bus to go to Wizzyland. They see a federal van uh, drive by. So they pull out <sighs> an Uzi and shoot it, and the bus driver. Thinks they're just like making. Like, he doesn't realize they just murdered some federal agents and yells right. at them to sit down and stop horsing around. Right. He's t- and they're he, they're they're pulling it off, playing it off like they were popping a couple of firecrackers in the back. Like, what fucking idiot doesn't know any better. Yes, this this bus driver's the real villain. <laughs> this he, he, yeah, exactly. His lack of situational awareness. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, he, he didn't follow the see something, say something freaking rule. Yes. Uh, it, it makes him the villain. I, I'm sure whoever delivered the anthrax box in the last story had used his bus to get there. <laughs> so we get to Wizzyland, and there's somebody in a trench coat who looks suspiciously like the Punisher, because that's where he's going to... Because apparently everybody on Flag Day is at Wizzyland. Like apparently. That. Because that's where where the major Flag Day celebrate. Who nobody celebrates Flag Day. Because Wizzyland is the most patriotic place on earth. Okay. There's there's a man in a mouse costume next to some American flags, and it looks like maybe the Texas flag, uh, in the background in one shot for some reason. Nobody knows. They start talking to the Punisher. He says he's a Turk, and that they but they say they tell him they like his coat. At this point, they all take off their their free Kuwait and down with I I I rape uh, shirts, and are now we see I'm not afraid to die. I rage do it with bullets down with the U.S. <laughs> and now they just start mowing through these Wizzy Land tourists, just start mowing them down. And the entire yep. time, it's the oh they shoot uh, Marvin Mouse and how he's the embodiment of all that is Western. The cop. Is going. He's warning them before they shoot. They mock him for the warning. No, the they they think that nobody can stop them because again they have to be read their rights first. Blah blah blah. Uh, the Punisher comes up. He doesn't even start shooting them. He just stands in front of them, casting a Punisher-like shadow, a skull-like shadow on the ground. He's like, maybe we can talk this out. They mock him for trying to use reason. He takes off his coat. And uh, pulls out two pistols. Looks like an old West freaking cowboy on one end of the freaking main drag, freaking whipping his pistols out and ready to go. That's a cool panel, but, I mean, the whole thing is pretty ridiculous. 
So they kind of mock him for pulling two, two guns on him. His yields, uh, they tell him you're going to drop your useless weapons. You cannot shoot us without violating your rules. And then when they shoot, he, like he says, when he shoot, lowers his weapons, we'll shoot them. What makes you think he'll play by the rules? Uh, mm-hmm. Then you must kill us, American. Go ahead, we dare you. As devout Irades, we are ready to die for our cause. Sure you don't want to shoot back, just to make it interesting. We submit ourselves to Allah. Death is our greatest wish, unbeliever. Wish granted, he shoots uh-huh. them. We get their death gurgle. Glad we had this opportunity to communicate across cultural boundaries. So the yes. entire time it's the you can't shoot us without violating the rules. Why would I you think I'd violate I wouldn't violate the rules? We're ready to die to meet Allah because we're uh, a racist caricature. Wish granted, and then yes, now we can communicate across cultural boundaries. Really stupid, unnecessarily racist. <sighs> I do like the guy's like eyes on the ground are full of blood because I'm an asshole. But yeah, I mean, I just don't, I, I don't know what the point of this was. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, may, I mean, I was, I, I was not an adult in '91, so maybe there was. I mean, I. I don't remember there being as much anti-Muslim hysteria at that point as we got, say, after 9-11. Right, yeah, there, there really wasn't that much as there was after 9-11. I, yeah, I mean, I think I'd have known, because during the Gulf War, I, I was in middle school, and I lived in New York, and my neighborhood was... I'd say the breakdown was a good like 20, 20 to 30% Muslim, or if not Muslim, Middle Middle Eastern countries, you know, uh, uh, Pakistan, India, Iraq, Iranians, some Saudis, you know, a, a lot of people from that area lived uh, in that neighborhood in New York that I lived in. And went to that school, and, and there really wasn't the the animosity that you saw spike of after nine eleven. It makes sense because I mean the how I remember Desert Storm was there was never a sense of danger. I mean they were using all this old Soviet era tech. I mean it was the there was never there was never thoughts of a insurgent attack in the United States. It was very much a you know, our, our forces are over there. They're going to deal with them there. It's a far away problem. I think the racism came out of all the fear that we are, you know, we've been living with Muslim extremists for, you know, it was not a new fear. You can go back to the late 70s and early 80s and talk of the Ayatollah. So, I mean, we knew that there yeah. were those sort of sentiments, but America had had its nose bloodied before. And I think that's exactly that. Yeah. So, again, it's. This comic really feels so much like punching down. It's it was so misplaced. We weren't in fear of Iraqi. I mean, there was some talk of like, what if there could be like sleeper agents here, or like, what if they staged an attack? But nobody stayed awake at night in '91 of like thinking about like Iraqi terrorism. I mean, that's so. It's just this whole the Punisher's going to mock their beliefs and murder their and, uh, and murder them while mocking their culture. It just it screams of one that's just an out of touch white writer, but two just really punching down. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely. Uh, I don't know. It, it left a bad taste in my mouth after reading it. It was just so heavy handed and so 
stereotypical. Uh, yeah, they, they, they didn't even feel like decent characters. They didn't even feel like decent caricatures of characters. No. Especially, I mean, it's just, what were you mocking? Like, what was the point? One, I always think it's gutless when they change names and countries and locations. It takes the punch out of any statement you're trying to make. But two, I mean, what was the point of the statement? It's not like anybody... It's not like anybody had this idea of Iraq in a in a positive light with the uh, invasion of Kuwait and the Iraqi war. I just again, I don't know what you were punching back at. Right, right. I mean, the only thing you were doing it's a middle school Arab child in a in an environment where there's not a a larger Arab community. You were making his life more difficult because you singled out his looks, his culture, and his beliefs as something affiliated with terrorism or something to be mocked or punished. Right. Yeah. So I'd say of the four, that was my least uh, favorite one. Absolutely. I mean, the the other ones, if they were parts where if they were clunky or bad, it was at least timid. Yeah. Compared to, I mean, that was just blatantly racist. Yeah. Yeah, but at least you know, looking at it and looking at the whole scale of, the, of what was done here, uh, I say landmass wise, that was a small slice of the landmass. Of I have no idea what the fuck my train of thought was. I was thinking about something else, but no, the, the ah shit, my brain's just screwed up. I'm gonna drink some Mountain Dew. I mean, it was just it, it just felt so out of place, and again, yes. I, Exactly. The Punisher, I mean, the good thing about the the Punisher, it's that he's always a dude who's been, you know, he's colorblind. I've seen him fight Catholic terrorists, Christian extremists, uh, South American drug lords, Muslim terrorists, uh, Soviet spies. I mean, any group, religion, or race, if you break a law, there's... There's nobody off limits, nobody gets a free pass, or nobody unfairly targeted. He's the essential colorblind character. And right. to to use him as your, your racist mouthpiece, I thought was shitty. Right. That, that's the thing with the Punisher is the only thing he cares about is whether or not you broke the law. Yep. And that's it. Everything else is fucking, you know, what else, you know? He doesn't care. Clearly, I mean, it's not like he's not going to kill some terrorists, but just how mean-spirited it was. Like, it's like he went out of his way to go there. for, And then just the way he did it, like, I'm not going to shoot you. I'm going to sit here and debate you and, 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 and have this opportunity to for the writer to mock your beliefs. It was a lot of bullshit. It definitely yeah. struck me as punching down. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was very much disappointed by that one. Yeah, I'm sure Miss Marvel would have a thing or two to say, uh, Say on this. Oh, oof. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm sure Ms. Marvel would have something to chime in. Kind of off subject. I mean, it's it's a little bit more geared towards younger viewers than I usually skew to, but uh, I mean, I've enjoyed the Miss Marvel comics since the, the, the new series, since it debuted several years ago. And uh, I really, I don't know if you know anything about the writer, G. Willow Wilson, but I mean, she actually is a, a Muslim woman. Um, oh, okay, cool. I've actually I've talked to her on Twitter before because I, I talked to her or I asked her a question about her X Men run that I really liked. She seems really nice. She seems uh, pretty cool, very approachable let's get, too. Let's get her on the show. 
I would love to to invite her on. I don't. I mean, all she can say is no, right? But yeah, I would love to have G Willow Wilson on. I I have most of the initial run for the new Ms. Marvel bagged and boarded. I I think I almost have all of it. Yeah, I I really like the character. Uh, I've got her action figure about ten feet to my left. Remember, nice. I, I, it used to be on my desk at work because I I usually will, like rotate some action figures through there. And I remember somebody came up to me once, uh, a woman I worked with, she's like, I want to steal this. <laughs> she had never read the comic, but she was familiar with the character through other media. And uh, I think she's been a really good ambassador for Marvel Comics. Yeah. And I know a lot of, I, it pisses me off how much heat Marvel has gotten for some of their legacy characters. They're, they've been giving out some of those titles to, to a more uh, diverse cast. And it's, I mean, I, I, I hear some people's argument on it that it, it feels, it doesn't feel like a genuine change. It felt like something you knew that you were going to eventually change a lot of these characters back if you wanted to make meaningful change, organically grow, like Miss Marvel, like newer characters out. But, I mean, any, any positive change, and it, like the new Iron Man, I mean, it's a few years old now, like the Iron Heart with the, uh, like African American, um... Um, teenager, I went in with very low expectations, and that was like one of my favorite comics of the year. I mean, anything that we can do, where Marvel used to be all white men writing ninety eight percent white men comics, I mean, just to get that diversity. I mean, I just I thought Marvel did a really good job, and the I was disappointed when Sam Wilson wasn't Cap anymore. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling at this point. I like <laughs> the strides that Marvel did, and it always I I, I think those. The, the people who are vocal or who appreciate that, you need to be just as vocal about it. as like I know I've tried to be as vocal about it as the people who, again, took this as an assault on their... It was almost like an, they took it as an assault on their privilege. so Right, yeah. And again, if you guys have a differing view, I know we skew very liberal here, but I mean, if the, the new diversity in Marvel rubs you the wrong way... I would love for you guys to write in and talk about it. Because, I mean, I've heard arguments from people who absolutely are liberals and who aren't racist, and it had nothing to do with, my Iron Man should be white. I've heard people make arguments about how they thought it was a, a it cheapened the diversity movement instead of strengthening it. I, I think there's an opinion to be made, and I think you can make some points on that. However, I just... I don't, it's whenever I think you're you have to look at the company you're keeping, and if the people who are agreeing with you all have Confederate flags on their cars. I mean, you just you sometimes have to to question if you're on the right side of things. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if people have differing opinions, I mean, we would love to talk about those on the air. And it was it's kind of funny if you remember when we were talking to the Scooby Dudes, they were actually a little bit apprehensive about be, doing our podcast because of some of the the toxic uh, views on diversity that that seemed to run in the comic book community. They were afraid that we were going to be maybe a more uh, can have more conservative views. And when they had listened, they were they were checking to see what kind of where we uh, where we skewed. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they were they were pleasantly surprised when they found out. Well, yeah. I mean, how many comic book? fans do you hear i mean this is the stuff they scream about like why iron man needs to be white cap needs to be white i mean it's just that's your world that this is the what you're getting upset about i don't know i'm off in the weeds 
Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. Though. I mean, if this is if that's worth getting upset about, you, you might want to take a step back and reevaluate your life choices. Well, yeah, I, I think it was it was issue or it was episode seventeen when we were doing the Kill Raven issue with the uh, with like the, the the music holodeck, and mm-hmm. the big mm-hmm. takeaway message of that was don't watch too much TV. It rots your brain. Yeah, we had ma- we had talked about it at the end where. I mean, this was like the mid-1970s where, I mean, America is still dealing with, uh, I mean, it's post-Vietnam, but, you know, post-Nixon, uh, there's a lot of social upheaval. You have, you know, the women's rights movement. You have the civil rights movement. And the biggest fucking thing that the writer, the white writer thought to put a, to, to have a takeaway message about was don't watch too much TV. Again, to me, that kind of reeked of the, you live a charmed life if that's what you think this... You're looking at the civil unrest going on around you, and that's the takeaway message? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, this was the Punisher Summer Special, and this episode, depending on when it airs, it's either going to be our uh, the dog days of summer, or most likely our goodbye to summer and hello fall. Hello, fall. So, yeah. And uh, I'm glad we managed to wrap up, uh, what are we calling this, Punish Summer? Yeah, and we have plenty more of these issues to tackle as we, uh, we, we go into next summer and the summer after and the summer after. Exactly. This, uh, this was definitely a, a mixed bag of nuts uh, with the, the Punish Summer issue here, but... Uh, I, I did really like that third story, um, Independence Day. Uh, it, it really spoke, it really clearly stated it, its story to you very clearly just through using visual media without relying on, on dialogue or exposition or any of that shit. And given how much exposition we have to go through at Kill Raven, it's refreshing. I, I thought they were all pretty good. The third one was good. I liked the second one. Or, I mean, the first one, the second one was all right. The only one that rubbed me the wrong way was the whizzy land. Take a whizzy land on that one. Yeah, it makes me, every time I hear that name, I want to pee just a little bit. (laughs) Whizzy land, whizzy land, whizzy land. You guys can find us. You can email us at comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us at at, uh, comicbookdungeonpodcast.com. We have an Instagram that's named something. It's a comic book dungeon podcast on Instagram, and you have a Twitter handle. Yes, Broken LMD, like Life Model Decoy. If you're a fan of uh, Shield Comics, Broken LMD, and uh, if you message me there, I will message you back. Until next time, keep turning those pages. Yes, and this is Mark uh, asking everyone. Try Red Apron. <laughs> Asking everyone. <laughs> How do you define unwind? You fucking bastard. <laughs> okay. That's a uh, good night, everybody. And uh, have, a, uh, have a good night. And don't forget to, uh, to uh, rate us on the iTunes. And place your orders. Don't forget that promo cord, code. Night, everyone. Night. Just ride and I got all my friends and we'll party through the night. Summertime, nothing. It's a loving in the summertime. It's the summertime. Summertime. I just can't wait. Gonna call you on the phone. Gonna check 
you on a date. It's summertime, and I hope you like steak. Gonna take you to a restaurant and eat enough filet. It's summertime, and I'm in the loving in the summertime. It's the summertime. Summertime. Gonna take you to the club, gonna dance and have some fun. It's summertime, the night's end is near. Gonna put you really close, but let's get out of here. It's summertime, and I'm in the summertime. Summertime. summertime and I just can't wait gonna call you on the phone gonna take you on a date it's summertime and I hope you like steak gonna take you I to do a like steak summertime yes summertime <laughs> good night everybody good night we now return to night boat the crime-solving boat. Faster, Nightboat. We've got to catch those starfish poachers. You don't have to yell, Michael. I'm all around you. Oh, no, the headed for land. We'll never catch them now. Incorrect. Look, a canal. Oh, Nightboat, go! <laughs>